Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, that one of the best minds in the industry is, in fact, our very own Paul Young, one of our premier pragmatic instructors, a experienced product manager, product leader. He's been in the space for a long time. And I think one of the things that makes him such a great instructor is just his passion for the product space. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Love to be here and uh, happy to be here. I'm always delighted to uh, hop on a podcast with you, Rebecca. Excellent. Uh, I'm always glad to have you. And I think, again, when we're talking about passionate product people, one of the things that always amuses us or maybe not amuses us, but always gets us really interested are examples of really successful products and really unsuccessful products. And so one of the things that you shared recently was CNN Plus. And I thought that that was a great topic for us to explore because I think there's lots of lessons uh, that we can learn from that, even those of us who don't have the maybe the the budget or the 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 resource pool that CNN Plus had. So first, like give us a little background for those who hadn't We'd missed this in the news. Tell us a little bit about the CNN Plus. All right. So if you didn't follow this story, I don't blame you because you would have to be like a news junkie to really like follow this story. But from a product professional standpoint, I think this is a good example in terms of like kind of like looking at what not to do at a whole bunch of different levels. And, you know, there is a little bit of like, you know, gazing at the, at the pileup, you know, as we drive by here. And I, I, I don't want to go through this to like make fun of the choices that were, that were happening here. Although, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that, but more it's about what lessons can we take away and how do we not replicate some of the mistakes that were made here so that, you know, whatever product you're working on, whether it's in, you know, a streaming service like this example or others that we're going to go over today or a piece of hardware, a consumer device, something that's enterprise level, whatever it is, you know, how do we make good choices and how do we avoid mistakes and how do we learn by others? Ultimately, it's about, you know, learning so that we can do better. But anyways, if you're not familiar with CNN Plus, I think most people are familiar with CNN, a pretty famous news service that launched in the 80s. And uh, Ted Turner, you know, really well known for this, you know, launched it, one of the very first 24-hour news offerings that was available on cable. And CNN has been a leader in the news space for literally decades. 
and they've won all sorts of awards for their coverage and so on. Nowadays, there's this kind of like cacophony of voices in the news space, depending on what perspective you like, you know, you can find news from whatever perspective you want. But for a long time, CNN kind of tried to play it down the middle and not lean too far to one side or the other. And, you know, you could argue how well they're doing that now. But like so many in the changing media space, they have seen sort of the rug getting pulled out from under them mm. as people cut the cord. Because as people cut the cord and they're getting away from like traditional cable, they're going more to streaming services. Uh, that's obviously changing CNN's model. It's changing who's watching with their ad-supported tier. They refer to their ad-supported traditional TV offering, cable TV, as linear. It's their linear offering. Um, that's kind of the, the lingo they use in, the, in that industry. And they were looking at new ways to potentially monetize. And they looked around and saw all these streaming services popping up. I mean, you've got Hulu, you've got Netflix, you've got Disney Plus, there's so many. And they said, well, we want a piece of that. And so they conceptualized this idea for a service they were going to call CNN Plus. And it makes sense. There's a certain percentage of people out there who just love the news. <laughs> and they love what CNN does, whatever that is. And they say, you know what, I, I can't get enough of it. I want more. And so CNN Plus, the idea was it was going to be a premium tier on top of and in addition to the linear free ad supported tier that they offer on TV today. And by subscribing to it, you'd get access to a whole different set of shows uh, from personalities that are on the linear free offering, but also other ones. And so they, they made some, some big hires. They actually hired Chris Wallace from Fox News, who was one of their big personalities. They brought him over specifically to be one of the headliners on CNN Plus. And reportedly, in the run-up to the launch of CNN Plus, they invested over $300 million hmm. uh, in getting this thing ready for launch and ultimately launching it in, uh, in March of 2022 of this year. So it was a big deal, big, big deal. And they were going to have exclusive content and you could sign up and get certain stuff on their website that you can get otherwise. It was basically just going to be like a whole nother set of content that you might want to enjoy if you're really into the news or if you're really into those personalities. That was the idea behind CNN+. Plus. Now, if you try to go find it today, you're not going to be able to find it on their website. Uh, and you're not going to be able to find it anywhere on CNN because they have completely scrubbed as of, you know, June, all of the mentions of this off their website, because this thing is now dead and gone. And it's a really interesting breakdown as to why this thing failed that I wanted to get into today with you, Rebecca, and hopefully the people that are listening to this might find that interesting as well. But does that give you kind of a sense of what CNN Plus is all about? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly what it was very quickly all about, it sort of came and went like a like a meteor burning, <laughs> burning in the sky, right? But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a good, Get backstory, and certainly we see we see other channels do this, right? We see Disney Plus is a is a famous example of this in my house, right? Where there was a Disney Channel that had a, a linear version, and then there's Disney Plus that we use in the app. So it's not, you know, an unheard of concept. You could see why someone could get excited, but clearly this one didn't didn't have the traction. So let's yeah. talk about why. Yeah, that three hundred million dollars. That's what you actually see burning up in the sky. That was the meteor. It's the three hundred million dollars that they're actually setting on fire because <clears throat> this one actually didn't do so well. So, so there, there are some very early red flags. If you sort of deconstruct the story of CNN Plus, some very early red flags that would indicate that maybe this was not going to go the way that they hoped. 
So first of all, uh, CNN Plus was originally under development for several years, and it was slated to launch in 2021, kind of the fall, late, late 2021, and it got pushed back. That happens, right? Launches get pushed back all the time. That by itself is not the only thing that's bad here, but when you start to see multiple pushbacks of a major launch, that might be an indication that something is a little bit off, but it got pushed back to January of 22, then February, and then eventually March, uh, which is when it launched. And as part of the development for this product, CNN executive team, they actually hired some pretty high powered consultants like McKinsey to come in and do a detailed market sizing study for them and help them put together the business plan and some additional diligence, which you know you or I might call product management, or at least some of the activities that you would expect a product manager or product management team to do. And McKinsey's business plan reportedly, I haven't read it, but just from what I've read online, they researched this idea and supported this idea in their business plan and market sizing that CNN Plus was going to be able to sign up just a little over a million paying users within the first year. And their price point target was $6 a month. All right. So a million, uh, million users at $6 per user per month in the first year. Sure. Okay. I'm guessing that was based in some kind of research. I would be really interested to see what that research is. So if somebody uh, wants to leak that over to me so I can read it, I would love that. <laughs> uh, but here, here's the thing. I, I went back and did a little research in preparation for this uh, for this pod. In the year leading up to the launch of CNN+, Plus, CNN's free ad-supported linear TV offering, their peak viewership average was about 500,000 people. At its peak. Hmm. So in other words, their business plan, they somehow convinced themselves that they were going to get twice the amount of paying customers that they currently get for free on the free tier. They thought twice as many people were going to be willing to pay for it as they are able to give it away to for free. And at least to me, that doesn't add up. That seems like a pretty early red flag that if I were in the executive team meeting room, I would have looked at and said, wait a second that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What is going on here? Like, let's dig a little bit deeper into that analysis. You would have to prove to me a lot more with a lot more data that this actually makes sense if you were going to go down that path. So I think that was a pretty, pretty, pretty big red flag as well. Another big complicating factor that was happening during all of this is that CNN was in the process of getting acquired by Warner Brothers Discovery. And Warner Brothers Discovery Channel has been rolling up all these different media properties, putting them together. And while this CNN Plus was in the late stages of development is when the acquisition was actually starting to get close to finishing. And the acquisition was going to close sometime in the spring. You know, they, they, they knew this. And there was some speculation in some of the, the articles and, and breakdowns that have been produced since the failure of CNN Plus that the CNN executive team was nervous that the new executive leadership team that was going to come in from Discovery wouldn't be supportive of hmm. the investment that was done so far in CNN Plus. So they rushed it out before it was ready to make it a little bit more of like a fait accompli, like almost hmm. like, hey, it's, it's a lot harder to roll something back when a launch has just occurred, right? So we're gonna put it out there. So it's almost like you have to support it, you know, getting it out there a little early. I don't know for fact that's what happened, but it does kind of make sense if you look at it that way. 
But because of the, the acquisition of CNN by Discovery, they were in what's called the quiet period. So what that means is that the CNN executive team literally could not talk to the Discovery executive team. They couldn't tell them about what they were working on. They couldn't talk about strategy in the future because you just can't do that during the quiet period of an acquisition. It just doesn't happen. It's against the rules. And so there was a big communications gap there. Once the acquisition closed and the new Discovery executive team came in to get the full readout on CNN Plus, as you can imagine, they were pretty unimpressed. Hmm. Uh, they were unimpressed. They, they also decided pretty quickly that CNN Plus wasn't on strategy for the new company and how they wanted to proceed with streaming and was a pretty big waste of money. And so they made the hard decision to shut down CNN Plus after only 30 days in the market. So think about like just how weak the research must, must at least appear. Like I didn't do the research. I'm not calling anyone out that they can overturn it that quickly, right? Like where the story just doesn't hold and just how much people must have, what do you want to call it? Drank their own Kool-Aid or drank their own champagne or whatever it is to get so excited internally that they couldn't see something that to even semi-external audience seemed very, very clear. Very much so. And you see this in the interviews afterwards with some of the leadership team from CNN. You know, they're, they're complaining quite a bit in these breakdowns after the fact that, hey, the, the discovery executive team just didn't understand our strategy. You know, this was a failure of communication, not results, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they talk about all these things about how, you know, this actually could have been a success if we just gave it a little bit more time, right? And, you know, that's something you always hear from people who worked on failed, pro like it's, we, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time. Right, well, right? I mean, look, like it would be very hard to be highly successful in 30 days, right? Like there is no question. But I think it's one of the other things you have to remember that you don't always get to communicate your strategy, right? It's very frequently not you. So even if you know it and you've got your 30 second, what have you done to externalize that? And what have you done that to arm other people? So it doesn't, you know, if you're like, oh, but if I had been able to explain it, oh, that's a, that's a tenuous bridge. If only you can explain the value in a way that others are going to get. Yeah. And there was a fundamental, I think, disconnect in the data as well as the strategy that backed it up. Basically, what it boiled down to was that the CNN people believed and probably still believe that even though their product is a niche, I mean, we, we all like, everyone likes the news, right? We like to see the news. We like to know what's going on. But there's only a small number of people out there who are willing to actually pay mm -hmm. for a news-focused streaming service. And so it's not like they were ever going to get the numbers that like a Disney plus would get. It's just not realistic. Um, however, if they could get a million people, Disney plus has like 83 million people signed up a million people for CNN plus probably would have been really good. And that would have been pretty viable, but they were never going to get there because what discovery and Warner brothers have identified through their research is that, and by the way, they've tried other niche streaming services. Uh, they did a niche streaming service, Warner brothers discovery on, um, on cooking, there was another one mm. that was like a, a motor trend focused on cars and so on. And, and what they found is that, yes, there is a small group of people that are willing to pay for a service like that, but the pervasiveness is not big enough. Like you can't find enough people who are willing to pay enough money to make that a viable concern. So what they're focused on, their strategy at Discovery is what we actually need to sell are 
bundles of streaming services. So that bundle might be like, if you buy Discovery, you will also get CNN Plus or CNN tucked into that. And you'll get the motor trend and the cooking thing and this, this, this. And you might pay a little bit more, but you'll get a bundle. It's, it's kind of funny how the bundle thing is coming back. Right, it's exactly week. what you get with cable, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. in fact, cable is a bundle. <laughs> exactly. It might be a little bit more focused now with, uh, with streaming, but it's like what's old is new again. So when they came in and they saw this niche, like another niche streaming service, they were like, nah, our data says that's not going to work. Or at least our strategy that we're going for is to tuck you in as part of a larger picture and not make you a standalone thing. Which, of course, if you've been working on CNN Plus for the last couple of years and you've invested $300 million in making it its own thing, you don't want to hear that. And it's pretty frustrating. So what's really interesting about CNN Plus is that in the, again, they had a million user target for the year and they only got a, a month in. They signed up reportedly 10,000 paying users in the first 30 days. Okay. That's a pretty far cry from the million they were going for. Maybe they were going to have a huge spike later, but you would expect to see a pretty big spike out the door within the first three. I, I would expect more than 10,000, but we would argue that that probably shouldn't be a surprise because one of the things that we teach in our price course is that when you have a freemium product, which is where you have like a free version and you're trying to upgrade people to a paid tier, mm -hmm. we usually think about that in software, but you actually kind of can think about it here in streaming too. The linear version of CNN, the ad supported version is the free tier, ad supported. And then you have the premium tier with CNN plus. But one of the things that we teach that you can expect in freemium with pricing is that when you're going from a free tier to the paid tier, you should expect to see a conversion rate of some, somewhere between one to 3%, all right? If you take CNN's average daily users for the linear version, free version at 534,000 people per day, the midpoint of that one to 3% range is 2%. 2% 2 of 534,000 people is, you guessed it, 10,000 people. Mm. So they were kind of right on track with what our data would suggest. Uh, is appropriate for going from free to paid. Now, obviously that's interesting, but I think the, the the big unfortunate thing here is that a lot of people were impacted in their lives, in their jobs. Yes. A lot of people yep. lost their jobs as a result of this. Now, credit to CNN and Discovery. They have given people a pretty generous severance package. They've also been trying to find places for the people that lost their jobs in the new organization or or give them placement elsewhere. But there's, there's no doubt about it. This is a huge egg on the face moment. And this is going to be taught in, you know, Harvard Business Review case studies and, and so on and in, in MBA programs for years uh, as an example of what not to do. And it, I think that's very valid. It's always easy to for us on the sidelines to be like point fingers or how could they miss it? But you know, there are real people in real and real lives and livelihood at stake here. That's always important to remember. And, and again, they didn't they didn't go without research. They had third-party validation, which can feel like, look, I, I did the due diligence and I paid, you know, someone to come in and look. But as you and I have talked about too, and I've I've had this in my career, very good market researchers showing me their, you know, third party that I had hired to do a project. They came back, they showed me the data, and their response was, so this is how you could make it work. And I was like, I look at the data and think that I probably should not do this. And they're like, well, I wasn't sure if I could say that. It's like, well. You are the third. I went to a third party for a reason, <laughs> but but I mean, and you know, so there are lots of very smart people who were checking a lot of the boxes that we would say to do 
that still ended up pretty far from where they they needed to be. Absolutely. There, there's a, a really great tweet that I saw on this topic, and I I I should have bookmarked it because I want to give it proper attribution, but I can't. But he basically said, you know, CNN hired McKinsey to help them put together the business plan, and they they came up with this you know crazy idea that they were going to sign up a million paying users, and it said interestingly there doesn't seem to be a market to hire consultants to tell executives that their idea is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, that's what should have happened here. Right. You know, they, uh, we hired their expert for a reason. Right. But it probably also speaks to a uh, weakness on, you know, product management and being mm-hmm. market driven as well. You know, it's the, the dirty secret of market research. And, and you and I both know this is that you can find data to tell any story that you want. And we can massage data in whatever direction we need if we go in with a preconceived notion. There is a discipline that everyone, but especially product people and executives need to take to look at things with a critical eye and think about it from the outside. I think that they would have been well served to have somebody be, I don't know, the devil's advocate in the room and say, well, wait a second, let's let's think about this from a different perspective and what would that look like? Another big lesson learned for me in perspective from this Mm. failure, maybe don't do a huge launch of a product with an imminent acquisition or change in executive leadership happening right around the corner because, you know, that you just never know, right? They'd already, I I don't know how much of the 300 million that they spent was sunk cost already spent versus Mm -hmm. on the launch itself, but at least some portion of that was on the launch itself. That could have been saved if they had just pushed pause for 30 days until the acquisition cleared. It's not like there was some market event that they were trying to align to. They had pushed the launch back like three or four times already. So just push it back again. So let the acquisition clear. And I mean, this is a big company changing type launch. Like literally the name of the product is the company name. And so that seems like something that maybe the new leadership would want to weigh in on. I don't know. But yeah, something that maybe would have been better served to have that conversation that they couldn't have because of the acquisition quiet period. That would have been a smart move. Yeah. I can picture the room where they have so much confidence that they're going to hit not 10,000, but a a good jump up and they wanted to get it in early before they were challenged. Right. Sniff during the acquisition that maybe this wasn't their favorite project. And you're like, I'm going to show them ahead of time and just, you know, they're going to see the results and then they'll know, which is again, another sign of not a clear communication of strategy. Absolutely. Just a whiff of desperation. Yeah. So anyways, don't be like CNN plus. uh, (laughs) Keep your $300 million in your pocket. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, be careful about setting strategy and communicating that, you know, it should be clear, concise. Everyone should understand it. You know, don't be afraid of hitting the pause button. I would much rather forget the money, forget the $300 million. You only get one chance to make a good impression. Yep. And they lost that. So even if, even if discovery had come in after the fact and said, yes, we actually want to continue down this path. It was already not integrated into the larger company's strategy. It was already off brand. It was already probably the wrong pricing. There was no bundling. Like there was just so much more wrong with it that could have been fixed but they'll never get back that chance to make that impression again. So if they ever want to launch another, you know, whether it's part of a bundle or standalone service, you know, they're going to have a uphill battle. And you could argue they've not just damaged themselves in that regard, but others as well. 
you know, if Fox wants to do something or if some other MSNBC wants to do something here, it's going to be that much harder now to convince investors or, or others that this is a good idea. I also think it's a an, another good lesson from this is the importance of all of us in our roles to to kind of poke at our own biases and our own being that of the company too. Like there are ways of doing this. this is one of the things I think that that it's a, it's a good skill is how do I ask the questions not to be like oh god you're an idiot but to make people think right how are you constantly poking at bias and making people think in a way that doesn't make them start to want to exclude you from the conversation, <laughs> right? I'm not yeah. the naysayer, Paul, right? It's the, it's the, it's the classic, uh, we talk about it internally, it's the classic improv. Yes, and maybe we, da, 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 right? So that you're helping them see where they may be having biases. Absolutely. The other thing I struggle with is like, what does a premium product for news even look like? I was thinking I, mean, I am obviously not as big a news fan as the, I mean, I like the news. I read the news. I have a New York Times subscription and a Washington Post subscription. Uh, but like I can't I can't fathom what other things I would expect from CNN. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe this is just a failure of imagination on, on both of our parts, mm -hmm. but I actually really like CNN. I, I used to watch it a lot more than I do now, but I, I still remember like it was yesterday years ago sitting i was i was home working from home in 2001 during the uh mm -hmm. during the world trade center mm -hmm. incident and i had cnn on, on in the background behind me and it was just kind of indelible I, I i didn't move from the tv or didn't change the channel for like a week yeah um, yep. it was crazy and so like but what is cnn plus it, would that be like more even more breaking <laughs> Here's what really what, happened. Like, oh, exactly. so I think maybe there's a place for like investigative or long form mm, journalism or mm, something like that. Yep. I can see that, but the breaking news is always going to be on the live TV channel. So I don't know if I'm a and news junkie, I would have to really like it. To right. Well, to me, CNN is where I go when there is breaking news and a story I want to watch unfold. I know they have lots of other shows on there, but that for, to me is not how I use that. And maybe there's more of that, but yeah, no, that, that is. And, and again, it just means, it means it's not for us, which is super fine, but you're again, shrinking your audience as a percentage of those that are using the freemium option. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of examples of failures in the industry and sometimes failure can be a healthy thing because mm -hmm. it helps us learn what not to do as an example, but also we can look at something and maybe find the flaws in it that we can uh, overcorrect for the next time around. Unfortunately, because streaming is so new, mm. there's a lot of examples in the media space right now of, of services and offerings that, that didn't quite make it. CNN Plus is one recent one that I think is pretty good. But I think a lot of people have also pointed at another one that you might be familiar, familiar with known as Quibi. And uh, if you're not familiar with Quibi, uh, again, I wouldn't blame you because not very many people used it. Um, but Quibi was a streaming service that was the brainchild of Meg Whitman, who used to be CEO at some really big companies like HP and others, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's been in Hollywood forever. And it launched just before COVID. And the big hypothesis, you know, theory that Quibi was trying to explore is that, you know what? You actually don't want, Rebecca, you don't want to watch like a 30 minute comedy or an hour long drama on your TV. Cause who's got time for that? You're running around, you're out, you know, at the grocery store, you're in line, you know, you're, you're waiting for your kid's soccer game to start, whatever. 
And you know what you always have in your pocket? A mobile device. So what you really wanna do is you wanna watch shows on your mobile device. And because you're out and about, you don't have time to spend 30 minutes watching a show. So all of the content on Quibi is gonna be shows that are 10 minutes or less. So these are, these are bits, like bite-sized bits of shows or bits of content that are like in the five to 10 minute range per episode. And by the way, you can only watch it on your mobile device. There literally is no app to watch this on your, on your TV. So mobile device only. Uh, in fact, many of these shows were actually shot in portrait mode rather than landscape mode. So you could watch it, you know, vertically on your phone and it would feel natural and correct. And <laughs> that sounds nice. That's an interesting idea. But here's the problem. Um, there is no content that exists in that format today. Like there aren't a big backlog or catalog of shows like Netflix could go access that are already in portrait mode and five to 10 minutes long. Like that literally doesn't exist. So Quibi had to go out and hire a bunch of creators to create this library of content that fit the profile that they were going for. Uh, and they got comedians to do short little five minute, you know, things. They got other shows. They actually shot some dramas that are like 10 minute shorts and so on. And they spent reportedly, again, about $1.5 billion developing the platform, the app, and the content to go into Quibi. And they launched 2019-ish timeframe. Total failure. Now, some of it was a victim of bad timing because it happened right on the front end of COVID. And as you can imagine, if the goal is to like get people sitting on the subway, commuting, watching a show on their phone, that's not happening during COVID. Now we're sitting at home. We're not going out. And what do you want to do when you're sitting at home? You want to watch something on your TV, right? Not on your, not on your phone. And so like some of that was a, a, a victim of bad timing. But I think it was also a victim of bad research because I would suggest that the amount of people that want to watch a five minute show on their phone every day, as opposed to the amount of people that want to watch like more of a traditional length show on a TV, maybe a little different. Now, I don't know, you might argue, argue the other way because look at TikTok, you know, and so on that, that seems to have gotten it right in terms of capturing the, the, the zeitgeist of what, you know, a short video content service might look like, but that's certainly not packaged shows. You know, that's like 30 second bits of content or less that you can just infinitely scroll through. Very different model. And it's user generated, right? It's not go out and produce. It's much more of a social network and sharing piece. Very, very much so. And it's not slick. Like the stuff on TikTok and, and Insta Reels and so on. Obviously, is, you've not seen mine. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Don't look for it. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, totally subscribe to Rebecca's TikTok. You can see it. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, and I, you and I could pair up on the viral dance trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyways, Quibi failed really hard. They sold the remnants of that company, they shut it down and sold a couple of months ago for under a hundred million dollars. Okay. So like 10 cents on the dollar, basically for that, for that service, they sold the parts basically. And so again, a pretty big failure. Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, has been out there in the media talking about the retrospective. He blames the timing and COVID, which, you know, definitely was a factor, but let's be real. That wasn't the only thing. Right. Um, there was a lot more that went into that failure that that probably could have been avoided with the right amount of research and looking at the market critically and, and finding out like how many people actually want to do this. So I think the main lesson is don't get into streaming services. <laughs> no, not true. Again, we've seen them succeed, but I think that what these are examples of are really, they magnify so many of the struggles 
and issues that people have every day with products of every side and scale. And sometimes when we have the opportunity, you know, the, the one thing about the larger sales that we don't always get is we get to kind of look and see the details behind it, right? So often we don't in, in companies get to, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a good opportunity to reflect on those lessons that we need to learn to ensure that we are not duplicating at a smaller scale or whatever scale, the kind of problems that, that we see in these two examples. Totally agree 100%. You know, if you're in a product role today, if you're a product leader, if you aspire to be a product leader uh, or on the marketing side, you know, obviously we want to be data driven, but it's not enough, not enough just to have the data. You got to be able to tell the story. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've all seen people who have spreadsheets and reams full of data that can't tell the story behind it. And so being able to clearly and concisely communicate your strategy, your data and your story uh, is critical. That's why, you know, at Pragmatic, we focus on using tools like the framework and what we teach in classes like Focus and Insight in terms of getting that market data and then presenting it in, in a compelling way. But however you do it, you got to do it. You can't skip that step because yeah. if you skip the step, it's still going to happen. It's just going to happen later and it'll be the market telling you instead of your executive team telling you. And that's a lot more expensive and a lot more painful. And I also think it's, uh, as we're talking about too, it's not just you being able to tell this, the story of the strategy, but it's arming everyone else too, because you will not always be in the room and you can't be. Uh, it's one of the things I really like about the new 90 second launch strategy tool in the launch class is it, it, it's like, here's be consistent and let help everybody else be able to deliver it consistently because that's how you you really have that consistent story. If it's just you and if it's like, oh man, if Paul's not in the room, they're not going to buy it. There's something very wrong either with the story or within your uh, uh, your um, the work you've done to really spread it out within the organization. Agreed. All right, Paul, always super fun to have you on. Anything else, any any of those, I would like to ask the two things you want people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would they be? Great question. Probably one that you should have asked me before the podcast started. So, <laughs> so this, this is how I figure out the people who listen to my podcast anyway, because they know this is my favorite question to ask at the end. And they're like, oh, <laughs> bring it, Rebecca. And this way I go, hmm, maybe Paul should listen. I more. have so many podcasts <laughs> in my feed, like seriously. Uh, okay, so two things that I would like people to do different. So the first is, I mean, obviously we want to be data-driven. In order to get there, we have to be clear about roles and responsibilities. So often we, I see teams giving lip service to the idea of like, let's go get market data. And they say, oh yeah, we should totally do that someday. But then when I like ask their, the leadership, like, well, how do you define the roles and what is your team doing? They're saying, well, I've got this hybrid product manager, product owner who's spending all his time with development. I'm like, okay, well, do you realize the problem here? You know, the problem you is not your person. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's the way we've set up the role. So if you're a leader, if you're an executive, or if you're an individual contributor, and you find that your roles are not conducive to the actions that you want the teams to take, to take, it's your problem. It's a roles problem. We need to fix that. So you know, we could uh, definitely help you with that. There's a lot of stuff on our website that you could read to uh, to help you support that conversation. The other thing I would encourage teams to do, and maybe this is on my mind because I just taught our, our build course today, is that once we get the data, the data is only as good as it is shared. So, so let's say that you go out into the field and you find people experiencing a problem. Well, you could write that problem down you could bring it back and give it to people inside the building. You could help them, you know, understand it through better requirements or, or whatever. But 
wouldn't it be better for them to experience the problem for themselves? How can you bring the full experience of that problem back to those that are going to be creating a solution like your engineers? Maybe that means bring them with you into the field, or maybe that means bring the field back to them, whether that's taking a video of your user, uh, taking an audio recording of your user, but just doing something. Maybe it's doing a Zoom screen share where you record it, but do something to actually bring the problem to life for the team that's going to be building it so that they can see it firsthand. That way, it, we, that way we lose the telephone game problem mm. and we focus more on the actual user. We cut out the middleman. Excellent advice, Paul. And always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us today. You know, I always love talking to you anytime. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. Bye.